Hello, you are listening to Go Chuck Yourself, a behind-the-scenes experience. After five seasons of Go Chuck Yourself, spanning nearly four years, we are taking a look behind the microphone to discuss and talk about and introduce the very talented character actors that have been performing the characters of Chris Gillespie and Aaron Arada over the course of Go Chuck Yourself. Um, hello, my name is Paul McHenry Fagan. I am the actor behind the uh, the host character Chris on Go Chuck Yourself. And my name is Jennifer Kent, and I am the actress behind Aaron, who, let me say, Paul, has been a very interesting character to kind of embody the mind of. It's kind of like getting in there, there's a lot going on in Aaron's head as I imagine it. And it's been very interesting to kind of explore that, but it's also been a relief to take that off and return to my uh, life as a glamorous Hollywood character actress. Absolutely. Each week we put on these characters who are discussing this television program, Chuck, uh, that is something that both of these characters is passionate about. They seem to enjoy discussing the show. And I think that certainly over the past a uh, few seasons of the, you know, I, I put this in air quotes, podcast um, has certainly been interesting. I think, you know, exploring the dynamic between the two characters has really been rewarding for me as a performer and getting to kind of develop that relationship. But also, I think that, you know, we and I owe a lot to you for this, Jennifer, is that there's like the certain kind of um codependency to both of these characters that you know on their own they're kind of pathetic but together they kind of make one functioning human being and that's that's the take that i've kind of been working on i mean how do you what do you think about that paul i'm actually really glad that you said this um i feel very similarly i think that as, as I mentioned, it is a relief to kind of shed the character of Erin mm-hmm. because I think that she is struggling with so much. Sure, and yeah. she has so many feelings that are very hard for her. I think probably for a functioning human would maybe be less hard. But I think seeing how the character of Chris maybe stokes that fire in Erin a little bit, brings out these complicated emotions, but also helps her to deal with them Um, is very fascinating. I think I speak for both of us saying that I am happy that I am not either of these people. Oh, absolutely. I am happy that I do not know them, Mm -hmm. that I do not have a relationship with anyone like them. I uh, maintain my friendships. I think um, in the past three years of doing this, again, quote, podcast, Mm -hmm. I've really learned what I am not looking for in friendships, in partners, in if I ever choose to host a podcast, what I would be looking for in a co-host. And I think that is maybe one of the most important lessons I've learned from, quote, go chuck yourself. Right. And I think that, you know, there's certainly a lot of other opportunities on the table for both of us performers. But I think that these characters are two characters who, to your point, um, would be insufferable if they existed in real life. But thankfully, they do not. And they're just works of fiction created by us as actors. So I think that it is a relief that they don't actually exist uh, because it would be incredibly difficult to listen to a regularly scheduled audio program starring those two characters as they share their thoughts that they seem to think are interesting or amusing or their commentary, which they think is providing any kind of substance or anything, adding anything to some kind of conversation. So I think that it is a relief that, uh, you know, we can kind of put these characters aside. I was very fortunate, you know, when I auditioned for this character of Chris that I I was chosen by the producers. And um, it's a character that I, although I'm proud of, I am looking forward to exploring new opportunities outside of the Chris character and maybe doing something that's a little bit more respectable. Of course. Paul, what are you looking forward to doing uh, moving forward now that we're uh, rounding the end of season five of uh, this this podcast? Yeah, well, I, uh, I have a few different, uh, you know, opportunities out potentially looking at doing uh, a miniseries potentially with Apple TV. Uh, we mm-hmm. also have a pretty good partnership going with the folks at Audible to maybe start a series of uh, limited yeah, or exclusive audiobook programs uh, featuring 
similar characters, not exactly the same characters, but uh, but similar and um, going to be taking some time off and probably going to be going back to my my ranch, probably doing some work on the ranch for a little bit and just kind of clearing that up and kind of decompressing. Because once again, playing this Chris character has been rewarding, but certainly exhausting. I'll say that. How about yourself, Jennifer? Thank you for asking, Paul. Um, I'm going to be playing Amanda Wingfield in Aaron Sorkin's interpretation of The Glass Menagerie. And something that is very interesting about this play, which is forthcoming to Broadway stages next year, is that all of the adult roles will be played by children. Mm-hmm. So um, you have Laura, you have Tom, you have... Um, Laura Suiters, and they'll all be played by children. I am actually the only adult, which is meant to emphasize Amanda's feelings of inadequacy in a world that is falling apart and behaving childishly as she sees it. And I think it's going to be very interesting, and I think that I will bring my experiences with Chris and Aaron, who are in fact childlike in their innocence and in their view of the world. And I think I will be able to really relate to these children who are my co-actors by remembering how it felt to talk with Chris. I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. Um, Until then, how about we do, you wanna slip into the old characters for old time's sake to discuss the bonus features of Chuck? Okay. I'm ready, Paul. All right, let's do it. Hello, you're listening to Go Chuck Yourself. Welcome. New Year, same podcast. My name is Chris Gillespie. My name's Aaron Arata. And we are here to talk about the season five DVD bonus features of Chuck. I'm so glad that I'm a real person that actually exists in this world. (laughs) Same. So the way that this works is that the uh, season five DVD of Chuck sets, the little box set that I have, uh, has the bonus features spread out over multiple discs. Aaron and I just viewed some of those bonus features. Uh, it's kind of going to be like a two-part thing because we did save some. There's so much bonus feature content for season over five. Three over three hours. Couldn't fit it all into one episode. So we're just doing the first half of it today. Um, remind me, Chris, you have never watched these before. Had you actually opened the season five bonus feature DVD up to this point? No, I, this was the first time that I'd seen any of these. Uh, okay. As a reminder, I most of the seasons of Chuck, I have all the seasons of Chuck on DVD. Many of those seasons I had not opened until we were doing this podcast. So, mm-hmm. um, so we're on we're on the final disc yes. of your set, yeah. which is pretty exciting, I'd say. Yeah. I've I was very happy to be able to uh, boast to my mother, who did, of course, purchase all these (laughs) DVDs for me back in when I was a teenager before the rise of streaming and everything where I was like, DVDs are it's a great time to invest in DVDs. This is the only (laughs) medium to enjoy video content moving forward. Um, So I invested in all those DVDs. My mom purchased those for me for various gifts, birthday presents, Christmas presents. I did not touch them. But now. As I told her the other day, mother, I I stormed right into her house and I said, (laughs) mother, I have news for you. I have handled and consumed nearly 100% of the content on those DVD discs. (laughs) You can no longer give me shade for not actually enjoying and using these DVDs because I've used these DVDs more than I've used maybe anything else in my life. Well, you've finally made your mother proud, which I'm very happy for you about. Thank you. I, I'm I feel pretty good about it myself. <laughs> so the first we have the three discs of content. I guess we'll just go in chronological order of the different mm-hmm. bonus features. So the first uh, segment that we have is sandwiches and super fans. The saving of a show, which is a little uh, about 15 minute long documentary about the fans. It's following the cast and the producers talking about. Uh, how how great the fans of Chuck are. Yeah, it was, 
what well, we watched, I would say it's between this and the um the like final episode documentary short tied for me for like most emotional content that we've watched so far. Mm-hmm. I think seeing how grateful the cast was um was emotionally affecting i i saw you uh getting a little choked up i think were you were you getting emotional i don't think i was but okay well maybe it was just me (laughs) i was projecting but yeah it starts at comic-con um which i was interested to know i'm not sure if this is something we've discussed over the past five seasons but they premiered the pilot at comic-con um before like it actually aired, mm-hmm. um, which is not something that I maybe I knew, but I don't really think about. And that's really interesting. And I really like to see like how many how, how well attended that was before anybody really even knew what Chuck was going to be like, just I, I presumably sold off the premise, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then seeing the legacy of them, like appearing at various Comic Cons up to 2011 uh, with like on a truck panel was very cool. I feel like I read somewhere that the, a lot of the people who attended that first Chuck screening at Comic-Con mm-hmm. were fans of Adam Baldwin in Firefly. Right. Okay. Okay. And I do, then I do kind of vaguely they came this for one. Adam Baldwin, but then they actually saw mm-hmm. the pilot and then they, they were amped yeah. up on the pilot. The first fans. The first That's fans. Amazing. Yeah. Back, back in the day, way to go. First fans. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean the documentary, it was, very very nice um mm-hmm. i think that we i mean we did actually do an entire episode dedicated to the fan campaign to save mm-hmm. chuck um yeah. a couple years ago so it was kind of just rehashing that but it was really coming from the perspective of the cast and also feedback and schwartz um you know saying how amazed they were and how grateful they were that the fans for chuck uh you know really kind of participated and got engaged in a way that was kind of unprecedented for the time but Mm. it's maybe a little bit more common now yeah they talk a lot about twitter campaigns which i think twitter was in its early days like it it was a couple years old but it was like definitely not yet what it is now so it was interesting like hearing them talk about what a big deal like the twitter campaigns were and how big of an effect they had and how they stood out um and then yeah it was really just like honoring the fans which was nice and i think um like we've we've talked about and i'm sure we will talk about in like our wrap-up episode how we feel about the plot of the finale which is like obviously the product that the fans are receiving Mm -hmm. um and i know that a lot of fans were maybe dissatisfied with the ending or had complicated feelings about it so i think like having this like having this piece exist and say like maybe we didn't do what you wanted with this plot but like we're really happy that you were here and they talk a lot about like how even if there's not a ton of fans like Zachary Levi uses the phrase like quality over quantity they talk about like breaking the barriers of what fandom means um and I thought that was it was nice it was really nice to see and it seemed like genuine it didn't seem like they were just like doing it because they had to like it seemed like they actually were really affected by it and weren't sure that this kind of fandom would exist in future projects they move on to which is maybe possibly true um i don't i don't know what the uh handmaid's tale fans uh or the tomorrow war uh what what are their names the uh tomorrow warinas (laughs) (laughs) tomorrow warriors yeah oh that was that was really good um, I wanted to move into, I, I took some notes, um, I saw you typing away during this, so I'm sure your notes are very thorough, but I took notes about what people were wearing, because okay. um, I thought it was fascinating. I want to start with uh, Yvonne Strahovski mm-hmm. is wearing a huge coat. Massive like, she winter seems coat. to be on a, on a, like a, a set, she seems to be indoors, but she's wearing a massive, like, outdoor type coat. Um, that says Sarah on it. I assume it's like a a crew or like a cast jacket for Chuck. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think was going on? You think you think she was cold? You think she had just come in from the outside? Well, it looked like a lot of the when they filmed these talking head segments was either outside at nighttime or on set, and it must have been cold on set. It's fair. Granted, my perspective right now, it's literally probably like single digits outside of New Hampshire right the second as I'm recording yeah. this. But so how cold because it could it have possibly been in California where they're wearing these big winter jackets like 50 degrees? I don't know. I mean, 
um, Ryan McParland does mention the Santa Ana winds in one of these segments, which is maybe a joke or maybe is actually happening. It could be windy. Yeah. They probably keep the sets pretty cold, I would imagine. I'm sure, because there's all that equipment. Yeah. Um, But my other thought was that uh, they seem to be, at least for Zachary Levi and Adam Baldwin, they seem to be filming some of these like during the Berlin sequence of the final episode. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if perhaps uh, Yvonne was wearing her Wienerlicious outfit under the coat, but she didn't want to be interviewed in that. Or they wanted to hide it. That makes sense. That was, I was thinking about it. Yeah, because... Zachary Levi is wearing his Wienerlicious bow tie. Yes, we we recognize that. That's really kind of unfortunate that he's kind of saying this like really <laughs> heartfelt stuff in yeah. like his final address to fans. And he's, he's wearing a scooter bow tie. Maybe it's a nod to us. Who can say? But yeah, I think it might be something that was. Oh, sorry. Did you have more outfits that you wanted to discuss? I did have more. Outfits. OK, yeah. Um, Chris Fedak, who is, of course, the writer of Ambulance, we, we it's coming out soon. We got to emphasize that as much as possible. Please watch Ambulance is wearing a Lacoste shirt, yep. which is something that Devin is known for. So huh. I thought that was pretty interesting yeah. because I don't really I don't know Chris Fedak, but like he doesn't really give off the vibe of like a Devin who like definitely seems like a Lacoste person. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I didn't write down what Josh Schwartz was wearing, but I did want to highlight that Josh Schwartz is kind of hot. That was not uh, something that I have previously highlighted because obviously he's behind the camera. I don't really see him, but he has a very much like a Seth from the OC vibe, which is actually kind of interesting because obviously he created the OC. I think like it makes me wonder if the Seth character is really modeled after him um, or if they cast Adam Brody because they kind of look similar. But he was looking pretty good. Obviously, we're in 2022 now, so that's 11 years later. So he has aged. He's aged very well. But when I saw him um, during the uh, quarantine read-through, whatever that word for that is, table read of... um, He... I I didn't... uh, I didn't clock it as much, but in this, he looks looks young, he looks fresh, he looks fit, and it made me see him in a new way. So I'm going to be looking at Josh Schwartz in the future. Uh, I think you actually, while we were watching this, you said, I keep thinking that uh, Josh Schwartz is Brandon Routh whenever they come to him. Yeah, I mean, that played into it. Yeah. Adam Baldwin is wearing, I believe this was at Comic-Con and not in his Talking Head segment, but he was wearing a shirt that prominently displayed the phrase Normandy Challenge, which I'm not sure what that is. Um, if, if anyone knows, please write in. But uh, he was he was heavily promoting it. And um, lastly, I noted that in the um, cuts from Comic-Cons ranging from 2008 to 2011, I think, was the range of Mm Comic-Cons we saw. You can watch Zachary Levi get progressively shaggier, like his hair gets longer, he (laughs) starts getting a beard over a few years, and then between... 2009 and 2011 suddenly he's got the short hair clean shaven face or like little little beard stubble Mm -hmm. that we uh know him we we know he has today and in the final season of chuck so i thought that was kind of interesting to track so the documentary kind of ends with a uh kind of like a sequence or like a montage of the stars of the show talking to fans directly to the camera Mm -hmm. and thanking Mm -hmm. them and it's all very sincere I think that if you're a fan watching this, you know that the the stars legitimately do appreciate all the effort that went into keeping the show around, um, which was really nice. And I think as a fan who did write letters to, you know, who mm-hmm. wrote to NBC, who bought a Subway sandwich during this time, mm-hmm. th- these things were addressed to me. Like these, they were actually talking to me, which was weird. I did write that down when they said your letters and emails made the difference. Yeah. That was you. That was me. They were speaking to you, Chris Gillespie. Absolutely. And I cannot emphasize this enough. They were not talking to Aaron in any way. (laughs) They were only talking to me. I was watching. I mean, maybe that's why I got emotional. I just felt guilty. I was watching it. I was like, oh, this actually feels kind of nice. Like they're they, you know, appreciate it. They're thanking me for my effort and only me. It's not like a both Chris and Aaron thing. It's only Chris. So I was not involved. I don't deserve any appreciation. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm glad that you recognize that. (laughs) I am going to edit the clip of like, I'm just going to, I'm going to cut out that audio and I'm just going to listen to it during my day. Like put it on if I ever need like inspiration, just the stars of Chuck telling me how great I am. Yeah, that sounds good. Good idea. I think that's, that's what I need. So Chuck fans, you already know this, but we're great.
We're the best. Way to go, Chuck fans. Unless you're Aaron, who didn't help save the show at all. I didn't help. You're just at a freeloader. All. Yeah. But that's okay. We just, we love you anyways. Um. So then we move into the buy more commercials. Buy more commercials, which were from a certain episode this season. That the title of which escapes me. But Big Mike has. We see clips of these in the episode. Big Mike has a commercial. From the 70s for the Buy More, Devin films mm-hmm. a new commercial that brings everyone in the greater Los Angeles area together to shop at Buy More because it's that good. So I, I want to start here. Um, Chris, you seem to have some very positive feelings towards Big Mike's uh, 70s style commercial. Um, Chris, in fact, played it for me three times and threatened to play it a fourth. Was that a bit for my benefit or did you actually really enjoy it? Because I did hear you laugh out loud several times while watching it. Well, I... The second I did want to watch it intentionally a second time because I wanted to just like the first time I felt like I was watching it just to be a, a normal viewer. So yeah, and yeah. then the second time where I was like writing notes. And then the third time was when I was doing it as a bit. I did seriously consider doing it a fourth time, but I also realized <laughs> that we had a lot of bonus content to get through. Yeah. And I was like, if I piss off Aaron this early in the show, it doesn't <laughs> bode well. Burn. Right. Yeah. So I figured to just leave it at three. They're very short. They're yeah. like ad spot length. I think they're both around, what, like 30 seconds? Yeah, I think so. I think Devin's might be a little bit longer than Big Mike's. Yeah. His might be actually 60 seconds, but... Um, I thought so I have some thoughts about them, but yeah. let's, do you want to go through um, what actually happens in them? What, what were you going to say? Well, Big Mike's commercial is like disco themed. It's from the 70s. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought it was funny because they're selling like cutting edge technology for the time, like Betamax players and VCRs. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really funny. And they yeah. said that they were a, they were a steal at two thousand dollars each, um, which two thousand dollars in 70s money is even more than two thousand dollars now. So uh-huh. Uh, really absurd and they they had a pretty catchy little song to it and a little dance yeah. um and it was it was fun i guess and we did actually learn presumably which we will get into with the next segment um who was behind composing that catchy little song although we so i'm thinking about it now big mike is in the commercial which is filmed in the 70s which is roughly we'll say 30 years before the events of chuck yep so Big Mike is probably like in his 50s or 40s when they're filming Chuck. We'll say 50. Yeah, I think that's a little old. So that means that he was 20 when he filmed that commercial. I guess that checks yeah, out. His hair was totally different, Chris. He was he looked like a, a totally uh, young 20 year old. <laughs> a, a totally different guy. In Devin's commercial, um, he, as opposed to like my Big Mike's commercial, he's talking to a customer. Mm. The customer asks him for help. And then he uses that as a way to say, like, come to the buy more. We have these cutting edge technologies. Devin's commercial, he is addressing the camera directly and he is kind of describing they're kind of universal, but they're also kind of specific to his life. You may have seen in the Chuck episode where he talks about, like, I use this blender to make my protein smoothies. I use this, uh, whatever. I use this to watch the big game. And then he talks about how he's a heart surgeon and also an athlete. He uses the phrase natural athlete, which I'm not really sure what natural athlete means, if that's a phrase that people use. Um, but... He's he's kind of appealing directly to the customers, which I thought was interesting and something I kind of wanted to move into is like, what do we think these commercials say about like the values of the American and like specifically Californian public in the 70s versus the 2010s? Because I think it's interesting. Uh, geez, I didn't know I was going to have to write an essay <laughs> for this podcast. Um, okay. In this paper, I will be discussing the <laughs> I'll be comparing and contrasting commercials from the Burbank area retailer Buy More as they're seen in the 1970s and late uh, or first decade of the new millennium and arguing why the why the customers over the course of time have gotten significant significantly less groovy over time. And why? What does that mean? I think Big Mike's commercial is like cool. And, like, Devin's commercial is, like, very sincere, but, like, in a way that's kind of, like, appealing to, like, the, um, like, n- now I'm getting serious. I was doing this as a bit, but I actually do think it's, like, 
it's appealing to like uh, superficial values, like appearances, like protein, like uh, like uh, um, seeming cool, as opposed to like Big Mike's commercial. Like he just is cool, you know. I had noticed that Devin's name tag, he's wearing a green shirt in the commercial. Uh, His mm -hmm. name tag says Captain Awesome. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, that's interesting. No, I didn't notice that. I also noticed that they they also did the whole thing in one take. It's just one shot of Devin. That's cool. Yeah, that's like that's cutting edge film technology. (laughs) Well, I wasn't really thinking it was cutting like it's not cutting edge that they just did it in one take. I was thinking it was impressive on, you know, for Ryan McPartland of like, oh, he did this all in one take. And his comedic timing in it is really good, I think. But he's also, I think he should be in more commercials. I don't know why he hasn't I been in so more too. commercials. Yeah. I don't know if we're, we're led to believe that he works at the buy more because he's wearing a green shirt, even though he says that he's a heart surgeon in the commercial. So <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a good point. But um, I know in the episode they talked about making it seem like he was a green shirt so that people would come. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he does establish that he's not unless if it's something like he works at the buy more during the day and then he's a night surgeon, a, a surgeon at night, heart surgeon at night. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the great recession, right? People were trying to make That's ends true, meet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, any other thoughts on this commercial? I was wondering, um, as we mentioned in big Mike's commercial, there's a little dance at the end where they're mm-hmm. all kind of doing like disco moves. I was wondering if you thought like what you thought what direction you think they were given in terms of their dancing, because sometimes it matches up, but largely it does not. So do you think they just said like, Hey, do disco moves? Or do you think there was like a choreographed plan there? I would assume that they did not plan out choreography for this uh, fake commercial that would only be seen on the DVD uh, bonus features. But that's my, maybe I'm a cynical, maybe I'm cynical. I guess so. So then we move into disc two which has only one piece of bonus feature content, which is called Scoring the World of Chuck. And I thought this was really fascinating. It's about... It was really interesting. The, there's only one guy who's apparently... He's been the composer for all of Chuck. His name is Tim Jones. And anytime Jones. you hear, like, the soundtrack... Any, anything. Anything. Any music. Well, not, like, not the, not the indie music, but anything that is, like, a, a composition... Right. Anything that's like not an actual song that's more of like a a background theme or a sonic texture. Right. This is Tim Jones right now. He's actually scoring this episode for us. Hey, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Love it, Tim. (laughs) Um, He has a ton. We go into his studio. He has a ton of instruments. He has. He he talks about his theremin. Yeah. He's got tons of guitars. He's got. He's playing. We see him playing a keyboard and also an electronic, like digital clarinet thing. Yeah. He describes it as an electronic wind instrument. I don't know if that's the official name. I had no idea that those existed, but it makes sense. Like just one thing that you can play that you can change to digitally sound like different wind instruments. Yeah. That's cool. That's the future of wind instruments right there. I, why don't I more people is. know about this? Why aren't all kids playing these in bands? <laughs> Instead of recorders. Yeah, exactly. Get them this hot cross buns on your electronic wind instrument. Don't talk about my buns, Aaron. This is a family <laughs> show. So, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. We have once again, we have Fedek and Schwartz on talking about how Tim Jones is able to like balance the tones of the show, which obviously we have commented on before. It has many different moods as like a comedy action romance. Mm -hmm. And um, they go into how each of the characters and like each of the like they talk about Fulcrum, uh, the ring, Volkov, like everybody has their own theme. And how that was used to make the show feel like consistent across five seasons, which I found the most interesting. I It was either Fiedek or Schwartz. It was one of them mentioned, like, even in seasons four and five, when they had smaller budgets, like they used the score to make things feel more cinematic, mm-hmm. which plays into something that I'm really interested in about how big of an impact like music and score has um, and obviously, we've talked a lot about the like outside licensed songs that Chuck uses and how that plays into the mood. But there's definitely like there's definitely themes that stand out, like the the one that that Tim, not me, just provided for us. But setting the mood of what it feels like to watch Chuck and how we're reacting emotionally to these scenes and how we understand like something that's funny or something that's scary, like it's. It's this one guy who's just like sitting there watching episodes like, OK, this this scene needs a needs a little horn hook. Like, mm-hmm. that's cool. It's really cool. 
and I think it's it's kind of I guess well this applies to just about any like production job or like behind the scenes job but like when you're doing your job well in that kind of job it means that people don't necessarily recognize it like yeah. if they do your th- their job well then it kind of should just be like this invisible kind of subconscious thing for the mm-hmm. the viewer which means that I felt bad because I was like I'm taking this guy for granted this entire time. Like I don't, I just assume in my mind, like, Oh, well, these are the natural, I know it's not true. Like if you stop and think about it, but it's like, Oh, these are just the, the natural sounds of the universe as these events are unfolding. (laughs) But then Mm -hmm. to watch this guy in his studio and being like, Oh my God, this man is receiving like just not silent clips, but just regular video footage. And then being like, you need to put music on all of this or like scoring and toning it. Um, that must have been like a huge, huge endeavor. And he does a great job because they they showed some of his highlights and some of his clips yeah. and stuff. And like, every, like the, he's responsible for everything. Like the amount of variety that he's covered is insane. And, and the, the scoring of Chuck is such a crucial part of the emotional experience, which and the emotional experience is a huge part of the, the viewing experience overall. Mm-hmm. So I think Tim Jones is, a, a majorly unsung hero for the program. Absolutely. Also worth noting that Tim loved, he, he specifically called out uh, scoring music for Casey and he liked that because Casey right, reminds yes. him of his dad, which is pretty emotional and nice. So I think you, you Aaron and Tim would probably get along well because you both are constantly comparing people to your dad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll hit him up. He's probably still in LA. He's probably busy uh, scoring me, shows, but... Let me see what he's working on these days. Tim Jones. What's going on with Tim Jones? Tim Jones, American composer. He is still alive, which is good. Great. That could he have went, just been very to, sad. <laughs> he went to Berkeley, which is close to um, Emerson, of course. Um, his most recent... Okay, he did Chuck. He did... Um, no, I thought that that, okay, no, 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 you know, he's, he's doing stuff. Okay. Now I'm on his official website. His middle name is Stuart. I can contact him right now. Oh, I can, God. I can fill out this form. I got his email. Oh, he would be really interesting to have on the show. Yeah. We, well, we should, we should work on that. That's a, um, you got to jot that down. He was from Arizona. Ooh, we have kind of like, kind of like me. Ah, he 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 uh, scored uh, portions of Thor Ragnarok. Oh, interesting. That's really interesting. Hmm. Um, and then he was part of the music team on Captain Marvel. Oh, so he's he's doing these Marvel movies. Good for him. Way to go, Tim. He he also did uh, American Pie presents Girls Rules. Classic. Classic. Love love girls rules. Did that clean sweep at the Oscars or did that only win best, best picture or did it also win best original no, I, screenplay? I think, it, best, I think it won like every award. Yeah, best best actors and yeah. best picture, yeah. Uh so score Which is weird because it only had women in it. So I like I don't know how they got in the actor category, but uh, they did. So I would say that the scoring for Chuck is a touchdown. See what I the points, ten, I don't know, seven points or in a touchdown. That's what we're. Is this what is this what Tebow does when he's celebrating? I'm trying to. I don't know. I'm trying to dance. I'm just distracted by it. You have tattoos on both your arms now. I don't care, oh, yeah. but it's not good behavior. <laughs> Moving on to disc three of uh, well, we only we only watch some of the disc three bonus content right now because we're you know limited on time, but. Uh, one of the components of that was Chuck versus the final episode, which was a behind the scenes look of the filming of the final episode, which is, of course, Chuck versus the goodbye. So this is where I started to notice um, this is something we've highlighted with previous bonus feature uh, discs for previous seasons is what a big player Joshua Gomez is in these. Um, he definitely appeared he didn't really appear in the scoring so much. He appeared in the uh, sandwiches and super fans. Um, but I really feel like, I don't know if it's like just because he has to be on set a lot, but he isn't in every scene. Like maybe he's just available to be in these, but like he's <laughs> he's really uh, one of the main faces you see in these documentaries, which I would say like he's kind of a nice guiding force. 
And he he kind of talks about how he's not getting as emotional as everybody else, um, which I think is like a nice balance because there are a lot of tears, especially like from Yvonne and Zach in this section. And it's nice to have like this uh, this middle ground kind of guiding us through. And that's Joshua Gomez for me. Uh, lest we forget the uh, bonus featurette from the previous season where uh, Joshua Gomez jokingly pretended to put a camera in Yvonne's dressing room bathroom. Oh, yeah, I did. I had forgotten that. And um, I am furious at you for reminding me. (laughs) But he's it's that was just a bad, you know, joke in the previous previous feature. But this time he's sincere and he's the one was nice. He's the calm center um, guiding us throughout uh, all of the the goodbyes. I think it's interesting because they basically show you the final scene for almost all of the different actors. Like uh-huh. um, they show you Vic Sahe's final scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, as well as all the other cast. But I, what I didn't realize was that a lot of these scenes where the characters are saying goodbye, sometimes the actors, those were the final scenes between the two actors. So yeah. they really kind of did like a double whammy of emotion for the performance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found it interesting. Let's see. Yvonne refers to Castle as the castle at one point, which I remember we had something with. I don't remember if it was that one of us was calling it the castle or um, if we had clocked one of the actors saying the castle before in the show. But fascinating uh, stuff. Um, Highlighting once again people's outfits. I noted that I believe it was the second AD, but I don't remember for sure. So don't hold me to that. Was wearing an OC crew jacket with a buy more hat, which clearly he's a um, he's a Schwartz, a Schwartz stalwart, as you might say. Schwartzwart. Um, Yvonne references how Chuck has represented one sixth of her life, which was horrifying, um, beautiful, but horrifying. And then the, um, the last thing I wanted to highlight in my notes, at least, is do you think Yvonne was like, I I don't know that she was throwing shade at like what actually happens in the final episode, but she does say it isn't what she imagined. (laughs) And so I thought that was interesting because obviously it would be a surprise um, if you, you didn't know that was coming. But I thought it was really interesting how they talk about that Chris Fedak wanted to maintain the tension of the will they, won't they up until the very end. And I'm still on the fence about whether or not I like this, like, like this as an ending for Chuck. And we'll definitely get into it later. But I, I don't think we need the will they, won't they here in the last, uh, last two episodes of season five of the show that's built on their relationship. Chris, I think this was a bad idea. I hope you don't do it in ambulance, which once again is coming to theaters very soon. I did think it was interesting because they do say there's a clip of, I think, Fedak saying, you know, well, it was it was really difficult in the writer's room when we're working on the final episode because nothing felt like it was good enough. And we kept throwing out ideas. And I'm sitting here being like, this was the best idea. <laughs> this was the yeah, one. Like how bad were the yeah, other ones? Like what? This was what you guys were like. This is the one. Um, but Yvonne does say like, oh, it wasn't what I was expecting. But at least, you know, because Sarah doesn't have her memory, I can at least conceal my emotion. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. She's like, I can basically play it very calm, which is great because I can play a robot because that's what we love about Sarah. Right. And she's like, like, meanwhile, I'm inside, like very emotional about the end of the show. But I don't actually have to uh, bring those emotions to the surface for Mm -hmm. the, the actual performance. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that um, I agree with what you just said about the uh, the will they won't they think seemed kind of weird to keep that going. But uh, <laughs> that was a choice that Fedek went with. And yep, that's that's what we got. <laughs> we do get to see Fernando and Skip Johnson talking about um, delivering their big lines, which I know we discussed. We, we had complicated feelings about them having to be on screen and what actually having to do in the context of stalking Sarah but it was really nice to see them and to see people talking about the green shirts being given lines always uh interesting to hear uh uh Jesse Hyman's voice because we did speak with him we interacted yeah. with him in real time so to hear that like, voice, oh that's my friend Jesse right we're like hey it's Jesse um which is of course something that we were saying I haven't really seen him in anything 
there was a long stretch of time where he was appearing in every single thing that I was watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him in a while. I haven't seen him in a while either. No. Other than in Chuck, obviously. So hopefully, um, hopefully he's he's doing well and we'll see him again soon. Wish him the best. And uh, quick note, I was surprised. I, I guess it makes sense. But they actually for that scene in Chuck versus the goodbye when they're in Berlin and there's a helicopter, uh, the document, this little featurette shows that that was a real life helicopter that they had yeah, on set. With a real pilot, with a real pilot who actually landed and they had the stunt drivers behind them, like causing the traffic jam. And uh, Adam Baldwin was actually in that real helicopter that was coming down. And he didn't like it. He said it was scary. <laughs> oh, little Adam Baldwin's afraid of a little helicopter. Oh, uh, no, I would. I'm terrified of helicopters. I don't know. Like when you see people riding helicopters without those doors, it freaks me out. I can never do that. So I don't blame him. Speaking of uh, the air and and falling through it, uh, we do see how um, they did Sarah's skydiving sequence mm-hmm. in the beginning of Chuck versus the Goodbye. Um, it's it's via blue screen, not to be confused with green screen. And we get a little bit of uh, chatting with the VFX supervisors talking about how they um, make Sarah like you see her that she's in straps and there's the part where she pretends like she's she's asleep like she's passed out she's just falling through the sky mm-hmm. and then you see her like put her arms out someone is directly below her like spotting and or directing her um which was fun and yeah it's like I I don't really I, obviously I think about Zachary Levi and Yvonne and Joshua Gomez and like everyone like doing the stunt fighting that we actually see them doing. But I hadn't really thought about like them getting up in straps and like having to like mime skydiving or mime like being in a helicopter or actually being in a helicopter. Like I just kind of imagined those things as like movie magic. But um, yeah, Yvonne really... Went through, went through the ringer. She had to get the shit beaten out of her by Brandon Routh. She had to fall from the sky. Like, it's a big season for her. We're learning how the sausage gets made, folks. That's what we're doing. Um, so you seem to be specifically, you kind of winced a little bit when Yvonne was saying that, you know, Chuck has been a, a one-sixth of her life to that point. Uh, mm-hmm. You seem to have this kind of reaction to this. Yes. And I was wondering if that's because as she was turning 30 or approaching 30, Yvonne had just wrapped on five se- uh, five seasons of a television show. And as we approach 30, we have we're nearing rap on a podcast analyzing each episode of that show. <laughs> um, it, thoughts, concerns, questions. Definitely concerns. <laughs> um, this well. Her. This was five years of her life. This has only been three years of ours. So what, by the time we're thirty, it will only have been one tenth of our life. So I'm I'm okay with that ratio. That's not how um, that math works out at all. No, that's that's <laughs> that's wrong. But I do have the correct math right here to tell us Please. how long, what percentage of our life has been uh, go chuck yourself friendly. Uh huh. Okay. It is one eighth of our lives we have been doing go chuck yourself. All right, I'm comfortable with that. It just can't get any uh, lower or higher, however fractions work. Well, we're going to keep getting older, presumably, knock on wood. So <laughs> then the go chuck yourself number will probably also get higher. Uh, but that's that's neither here nor there. So, yeah, that was uh, that's it. Chuck behind the scenes on the last episode. Then we moved right into there's a time lapse footage of the Bymore set being deconstructed. That's called Goodbye Bymore. Which I should say, I should make clear that neither of us were particularly like excited about. We were willing to watch it, but we were like, this can't possibly be interesting. And then it was. We were we were riveted the whole time. It's two minutes and 30 seconds. It was interesting. It was. We both got very invested in this time lapse footage and we were asking questions like, well, what are they going to do about this? Like, are they going to? Uh, maintain the floor yeah are what are gonna... they doing with the floor oh because it seems to be a sound stage so they like literally are taking down the walls it's interesting to see how the buy more is sized because you would assume that the set is smaller than an actual electronic store mm-hmm. which seems to be the case but it's still fairly large um they have there's the columns that are in the buy more which kind of give it that industrial like 
big box store feel, but actually, as I pointed out to Chris, they were not load-bearing columns <laughs> present in the soundstage. They were fake, and they got taken down. <laughs> and they also had, uh, like, ventilation, like HVAC, uh, not pipes necessarily, but, like, whatever those tubes are. Uh, yeah. Those were also Which is interesting yeah. because you think about how those appear in stores often to give them an industrial feel like Old Navy comes immediately to mind. And that's something that like I, I'm kind of used to now because it's Old Navy's thing. But like I always imagined that as like it's it's a necessity. That's just the way that like the area is built. And we've just decided not to waste time and money covering it up. Mm -hmm. But in this case, they were actually creating that image. So it makes me wonder, like, do stores that have that actually need it? Or is it just like an image that they're presenting? So they seem like more approachable. They probably need it. I don't think there's that (laughs) level of uh, set design going on in stores, but I could be wrong. Who knows? You could Um, be wrong. I I was, for one, interested to learn that the entrance to the Buy More is actually like a big garage door kind Mm -hmm. of thing, because it does actually go outside. Yeah. I assume it's like the lot of, I guess it's Warner Brothers, um, and it just leads directly onto like the, the road. Yeah, but then I wonder how they get the footage. Like, how does it look like that there's the actual, like, shopping parking lot outside? There must yeah, be, that's a good or question. Or maybe that's yeah. just the studio parking lot? I don't know. But it's I was possible. I was interested to to learn that that was an actual uh, yeah. real door, real garage door. I don't know. But uh, probably could have watched that a couple more times, but we only watched it <laughs> once because it wasn't the Big Mike commercial. And lastly, we have the gag reel. Always love those bloopers. It's the love highlight of bloopers. every season. A lot of flatulence. There was less flatulence in this one. There was only two big instances. I think season four had a, a lot more. A lot, yeah. Uh, I feel like there was not that many bloopers this time, really. Or no, it was, it was pretty quality short. Was pretty, I think it was like three minutes. Yeah. I feel like the quality of bloopers this time wasn't really... There were some ones that were like, yeah, that's pretty good, but overall... We got some giggles, we got some mispronunciations, we got some Linda Hamilton fucking up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was... Uh, there's there's not too much to say. It's definitely worth a watch if you have access to the bonus features, but if if you have to like go tracking them down, you, you're not missing too much. It's just nice to see the characters like having fun together. And it does end with a slow-mo shot of Zachary Levi taking a sledgehammer to an ice sculpture of the Chuck logo. (laughs) And there's a caption that says it's a wrap as he's slowly smashing this ice sculpture. And then it just fades to black and that's it. He's he smashed Chuck. That's that's what it's symbolic of. And uh, with that, I'd say that we kind of smashed these bonus features. So we do have more bonus features uh, coming up next week, which will be kind of like more of a uh, look through the the bonus features that are kind of a, a retrospective on Chuck, uh, mm-hmm. Chuck the beginnings through the years and Chuck the future, where the cast and produ- producers speculate about the future of Chuck. Yeah, I'm actually very curious to see what in 2011 uh, the cast and crew thought was going to happen, um, and if it hints at anything that's maybe still coming for us. Perhaps I guess we'll find out. So. This has been kind of an unorthodox episode of Go Check Yourself, but uh, since we have more to come in a part two, I, I don't know. Do we do we have we typically do the scooter scale? We typically do Chuck Mary Kill. I don't really. Are we doing that right now? I don't know. <laughs> something something we probably should have discussed. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, I think we can save our bonus feature. Um, thoughts until we finish all of the bonus features and then from there i'm i'm not really sure what we're gonna marry and kill um but if you if you want to throw out like general thoughts and feelings anything that stood out as like a pseudo mary oh you're talking to me I, you were talking to me i, I thought you were talking to the yeah. listener oh okay um uh, yeah Mm-mm. so uh i I really appreciated, you know, I guess just the the thank you sequence of the cast. They really you can tell that they really deeply, sincerely appreciated the contributions of the fans. And it really meant a lot to them. And I don't think that's normal. You probably don't see that in a lot of bonus features and you probably don't see that on a lot of TV shows. People getting that Mm. emotional. And I, of course, uh, enjoy it because it was directed towards me. So that felt nice. 
And uh, that's just something that I will uh, think about, about how I, you know, in my very own small way, contributed to uh, bringing joy to these actors' lives who then subsequently brought me joy, both in the form of a television show and also the subject for my podcast. Um, I really liked at the end of the time lapse, uh, Chris Bedak walks into the uh, buy more set and waves to the camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was very charming. Um, I was into that. And of course, I was into Josh Schwartz just uh, as a man, specimen of a man. The thirst is real, folks. I had to be like you. You thought that I couldn't get thirsty in the bonus features, but I always can. Especially when there's no like Timothy Dalton's not going to be here. Brandon Routh probably is not going to show up in the bonus features. There's really no, uh, I believe, what the kids refer to as thirst traps appearing yeah. in the mm-hmm. bonus features. But you made your own thirst trap. I found one. You found yeah. one, like a. <laughs> uh, an explorer wandering the desert looking for a source of water. You you found an <laughs> oasis in Joshua's. I did. <laughs> so on that note, yeah, um, we will be back with uh, additional bonus features. And then eventually we will also be back with our final thoughts on season five, um, which I am slowly compiling in my head. It's going to take me a while to decide how I feel about everything, but um, this is it's been a joy to get back to Chuck and watch these bonus features. I'm excited to see the commentaries for the final episodes and see what uh, insights we can glean from that. Excited to see. I guess we probably won't see Josh Schwartz, but maybe his voice will be on there. So that'll be nice. Um, yeah. Until then, this has been Chris Gillespie, a real person, not a fictional character performed by an actor. Uh <laughs> Reminding you that food is sexy. And this is the real, actually existing Aaron Arata saying my catchphrase that was not uh, crowd tested and approved. Anything is possible. We'll see you next week for more bonus features. Phew. Christ. Oh, Oh, God. Oh, wow. That was the script on this one was kind of rough, right, Paul? Yeah, I think I can't believe I I kept saying, like, do you guys want to do go back to rewrites? Like, I think that we really need to look through, like, the middle section and tighten it up. But I'm just the actor. What the fuck do I know? (laughs) Oh, yes. Well, at least we have our future projects. Uh, I'm actually heading out for a for a little walk through the park with Aaron. We're going to talk about his vision for the character. Oh, Sorkin. So. I thought you can't because you can't walk with Aaron Arata. Yeah, absolutely not. I would never walk with Aaron Arata. Yeah, I have to. Uh, I'm getting a massage, so I have to go get ready for my massage. And uh, it's deep tissue. Should be good. Really helps me. I, it's kind of a. Uh, well, I don't I don't need to tell you this. You already know that it's an after show tradition for me to go get a massage. Yes, of course. Uh, to really help release those Chris Gillespie toxins out of my body. You gotta, you gotta get them You out gotta of do there. it, otherwise you'll go crazy. <laughs> so Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.